All right, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all this morning. My name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Tucson. And uh, again, if you're, if you're new, as was said earlier, we're really, really glad that you're here this morning um, and uh, excited to get to know you. And also, if, you've, if you're new or you've never heard me preach before, um, I have a, a stutter. So just want to give you all a, a heads up on that. It kind of comes in and out. As, uh, as we go, and just want to let you know um, what, what it is, so you're not kind of confused or um, anything like that. And again, as was said earlier, I just want to, want to take a moment and say happy Mother's Day to you all. Um, you know, this is a day like many days that I think as you get older, as you grow, at least in our experience, this has definitely been the case, days, almost every day, holidays, Father's Day, Mother's Day, can for some people, and probably for many of us, be hard and difficult, and perhaps also simultaneously good and, and fun. And, and it can sometimes, they, that overlaps, that kind of goes at the same time. Um, and I just want to say, again, um, if you're here and this is a hard day for you, we're really, really glad you're here. We want to we worship alongside you and love you and, um, and, and hear the good news of Jesus alongside you. And, um, and also, um, we have a gift out there. I think it was said that we have a gift. So if, you're, uh, if you um, are a mom, we want to give you that gift. Okay, It's on the table. Some people worked hard to give you that. And that includes, um, if you've walked through infertility for a long time, if you've experienced a miscarriage, you've lost a child, perhaps you've been a foster parent and that child is, is no longer with you or anything like that, um, you're a mom, okay? And, um, and, and we want to encourage you in that and thank you for the work you've done uh, of, of, of mothering uh, those whom God has entrusted to you, okay. So I just want to put that out there that, that one of those gifts is absolutely for you, and um, again for all of you as moms. And some of you guys know my story. I was raised by a single mom, and um, even for me, this uh, this week was a bit weird for us. I'll share some of that uh, in the sermon. Those of you who know the story are already chuckling. Um, but uh, we it was kind of a hard time for me processing through motherhood. Not, I'm not a mom, obviously, but uh, just kind of some of these things in my own journey, my own story there. Um, and so again, just want to say that, want to kind of pastor us in this. And that's not to put a damper on anyone's like, man, who brought this guy to the party? <laughs> like, buzzkill. Um, it, you know, it's, uh, again, let's eat, eat our, go out, eat lunch, have brunch, enjoy it, have fun together, celebrate, but also be aware that, um, as is said, that the kingdom of heaven, when Jesus came, he said, the kingdom of heaven is here. But the reality that we're in is that it is here, so there's good news, and it's not yet, right? So, so there's good news and there's hard news sometimes, and those things overlap, and that's where we are this morning. Um, and uh, I, I also want to kind of switch gears here on us and share one more thing um, is next week is going to be... Um, Probably our last week, we have a kind of we have a little bit lower numbers this this afternoon or this morning because a lot of people go somewhere else to be with their moms. When you, when you're a college town, that happens a lot on this type of day. Next Sunday is going to be a big day for us. It's likely our last kind of bigger Sunday where all our college students are here and we love you and everyone who's involved with the U of A is here and and then we'll um that's when the U of A graduate graduate will. Will be, and so next Sunday will be a little different. It'll be a very sp 
a special day for us. We'll have those of you who are graduating or are transitioning or are going somewhere, being sent either for the summer or like for good, which is sad to, to even say, but we're going to send you, okay? We'll have you stand and we'll pray for you and we'll commission and send you, right? We want to be a sending church um, and we'll also be installing our, our, our next group of members. Those of you who've been going through the membership class and been doing interviews and going through that whole, whole process. So it'll be a fun Sunday. It'll be kind of a welcoming and ascending summer, um, Sunday altogether, if you will. So again, that's next Sunday. I want you to be here. And then we'll talk in the coming weeks about what's coming up over the summer, right? When our numbers kind of thin out, though it's sad in a little bit, we actually see it as a really good thing um, because we can, you know, get enough coffee and donuts in the call soon. So eat it all. No, it's... um. It gives us a chance to do some things we can't always do when, um, we're, when we're growing and bigger as we have been. It helps us do some things as a whole church throughout the summer to invite others into the community and things like that. So that's what we'll do. We have some stuff planned out for the summer coming up. So again, stay posted for that. Um, all right. Amen. Okay, so, so good. Now let's um, turn with me, if you have a Bible or an app, um, turn with me to Titus chapter 3. And if you don't have a Bible with you, um, go ahead and hold your hand up high so we can all um, say boo, shame on you. No, hold it up high so we can get you a Bible, right? We want to give you a Bible. So keep your hand up high and um, raise it and somebody will get you a Bible. And um, uh, si quieres la Biblia en español, levanta su mano y diga español. Um, we want to make sure everyone has a Bible that they can read in their own language and underline stuff. We got one up here. I'm, I'm here to help. We got here. I see a bit of right? auctioneer. There's one there. Um, again, keep it up. Somebody will get you a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, this is our gift to you. Okay, we want to make sure you have a Bible that you can keep and, and, and um, make your own. So that's our gift to you. And as we pray and transition, let me just remind us kind of where we've been in Titus. All right, the big idea in Titus, and you can see it up here on a chalkboard, is that God is forming the healthy people who flourish under his rule and reign and leadership. It's the healthy people of the one true God. In a nutshell, Jesus is shaping and establishing his church, his people, and how we live together. And so uh, if you remember, the author of this, Paul, went with his kind of protege, Titus, to the island of Crete, right off of Greece, and he planted a bunch of churches. And then he left Titus there, and said, now go make some sense of these churches, all right? He just started them, and then he's like, peace, I'm out. And, and they're like, well, what do we do? What does it mean to live as the people of God together? What does church even mean? And maybe some of us here are asking that same question, like, is it a, an organization? Is it a religion? Is it something you only do on Sunday? What does it mean to be the church, to be the people of God? So Paul writes to Titus and says, have no fear, I have your back. Um, I'm going to help you figure this out. Go and do these things. And so we've been walking through Titus. It's one of the uh, pastoral epistles. Epistle means a letter. So Paul wrote a letter, one to Titus and two to Timothy. And perhaps some of you guys have noticed over the last couple of weeks, I've accidentally um, kind of inserted Timothy where I should have been saying Titus and done that um, a bit. Extend grace, would you? Come on. Get off my back. No. Um, extend me grace. But uh, yeah, I've said Titus. I've meant Timothy. I've said Timothy. I've meant Titus. And uh, they both start with the same thing. But we're in Titus. And that's what's going on. All right. He's helping young Titus 
church pastor, overseer, establish some healthy churches. And so we're going to see that really in chapter three today. So let me pray and ask God to uh, take us through our time together in his word. Lord, we thank you and we, uh, we love you. And we come together as your people, Lord, gathered together. Um, just like this church or the churches in Crete, um, Lord, people who would call themselves Christians, who would identify with you and say they're followers of Jesus. Others who would say they're not and are just interested in trying to figure this whole thing out about what life might look like in relationship with our creator who has come and, and died and raised from the dead and said, now follow me so you can be restored in all of life individually and communally. Lord, like this church, we're likely in the same place here today. Many people from different places, different walks, Lord, with different questions. And so I pray that now in this time that the Holy Spirit will lead us, open our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears. Lord, you say that the word of God is profitable for teaching and encouragement and rebuke and exhortation and correction. So Lord, we come humbly and expectantly, trusting that you will do with us as you want to do. And this time, through your word, in the name of Jesus, amen. So uh, we're getting into chapter three. You all know what to do if you've been here for a while. You can turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, welcome to chapter three. There you go. We're in chapter three. We like to walk through books of the Bible as a church. We sometimes take a break here and there, but we typically walk through and march through books of the Bible. Um, we're going to be in the Psalms in a couple weeks all the way through the summer. We're going to be looking into the Psalms, and, and um, so I'm excited for really where we're at. And then we've got some other things coming up ahead. All of next year is already mapped out and planned out. And um, so there we are. Welcome to chapter three, starting in verse one. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Okay, so remember, this is um, what came before is always important, right? We don't just kind of dive into the Bible and pick out little sections and verses. And if you remember that um, last week he was, he was talking about from grace to glory, how all of life is all for Jesus, um, from, from Jesus' first coming, the appearance of grace, um, all the way to Jesus' next coming when he comes in glory and reveals his glory to the entire world. He's saying live your whole life um, in light of the good news of Jesus. Jesus from grace to glory. And then he continues, as we just now pick up here, remind them, remind them to be submissive. And now let me share with you, I don't know if it already came up here on the screen, but let me just give you a little, a little roadmap of where we're headed today. Is we're going to see the big idea is that we're saved from sin and saved to life. Salvation, right? That might be a word that you've heard in Christianity. And you're like, what does that mean? What does it mean to be saved and so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, what we're going to be walking through. And the big idea is, is that through Jesus, we're saved from sin and saved for life. And the four parts we're going to walk through is, again, that we're saved from sin. You're saved from self. You're saved by grace. And then you're saved for life. And that's the good news of Jesus, and it's meant to shape our lives and not just be something that we throw out there, yeah, I got saved, or, you know, and just, and then kind of, but it's meant to, to apply, if you will, the, the proverbial rubber is to meet the road. And, and that's what we're looking at. And so the first, the first section here is, is, is saved from sin. And, and this is because, like us, they're in a place, verse two, speak evil of no one. Avoid quarreling, be gentle, show perfect courtesy to all people. 
Be obedient. Be ready for every good work. Earlier in verse 1. Be submissive to rulers and authorities. And that has nothing to do with us in our current political climate. In our day, we don't need to learn anything. So moving on. Okay, this is uh, very appropriate for us in our day today. How are we going to carry a posture when we talk about the current political climate and the upcoming political climate? Am I going to tell you who to vote for right now? Yes, I am. Get ready. Get out your pen. No. No, I'm not going to do that. But am I going to walk through the scripture in terms of how we need to go about this? Yes. The word of God is profitable and appropriate for every stage of life and everything that we need to do. And the big idea here is this, is a reminder. You've been saved from sin. Okay, let, let me connect some dots here for us, all right? When you think of that, saved from sin, what do you think of? likely an aspect of sin that is very true. Saved from your own individual sin and your need to be reconciled to God. That's called justification, which is in verse 7, and we'll get to that in a moment. And that is absolutely important, if you will. That's, the, uh, that's, that's a hinge point or a turning point. But salvation... The good news of God coming to rescue his people who have turned their backs on him and said, I don't want anything to do with you. I want my identity and my purpose and my life to be shaped by who I want to be. And so we've turned away from him, desperately needing salvation, needing rescuing. And then God said, I'm not going to leave you there. I'm going to come and I'm going to restore you in all of life. Because what's happened is, is our relationship with each other, our relationship with God, our relationship with life, our relationship with politics has been marred by sin and by brokenness. Individually, yes, but also communally and corporately. So that we live in a world and in systems and structures that have been affected and infected and defined by sin. So what we're called to do with that, are we called to vote? Are we called to have conversations? Are we called to pray? Are we called to talk about, to challenge one another, to ask hard questions, to give hard answers? Yes. Yes, we are. But is that supposed to be your ultimate foundation, your starting point, is one of anxiousness? Okay, my, my, my challenge is that very likely a lot of our political conversation, our conversation about authorities, and I see this in every level, right? I coach like eight and nine-year-old baseball, and you see it right there. My son and I talk about often, man, the umps calls, or man, the umpire, you know, he was really calling them high today. He was calling them outside. and It's just, it's natural for us, right, to just kind of get there and just a disrespect. And, and it, there can come a point where, where, where we're not saved from sin, where we're not living as though we're saved from sin. We're living as though structures and, and policies and umpires and political candidates are, um, define us. And we're sitting there biting our nails and saying, if this doesn't happen, I'm ruined. We're ruined. All hope is lost. And there's an anxiety. So again, hear me. Am I saying, should we care about these things? Should we enter in? Absolutely. But should you be free from sin, saved from sin, understanding that whatever happens... There is a king who's sitting on a throne who said, I'm making all things new. Okay, take a deep breath, relax, engage with a posture and a confidence that you understand you've already been rescued 
So now come at it in such a way that helps to bring the good news of Jesus, that helps to fight against anxiety and anxiousness, and that, and that, and that doesn't enter into it. Okay? Are, are, you, are you hearing this? So um, there was a, a, an opportunity for Jesus. Some of you may know this. Right before he was going to be, tri- or when he was being tried, right before he was crucified, Jesus was challenged by Pilate, the ruler of the day wealthy, from the upper class, born with a silver spoon in his mouth, racist, okay, <laughs> right? We know some people and some things like this. And yet, when Jesus was challenged by this man, and the guy said, hey, do you not know who I am? Do you not know that I hold your life in my hands? Do you not know I could do whatever I want? Did I have the power to say live or die? And Jesus said, Silly Pilate, you don't have any power that hasn't been given to you from my father. If I wanted to right now, I could call the posse of angels to come in here and wreck this whole thing. But I'm submitting to the powerful God. Now, does that mean that's an excuse for sin? Does that mean that Pilate or the authorities, religious and political authorities, were off the hook? And they're like, hey, God's the one that puts us in power, so just sit back. Or does that mean that the other people would sit back passively and say, I don't, I don't know what to do with this. I'm just, hey, it's up to God. I'm not even going to vote. It's No, no, no. But it also meant that, that their Facebook posts, that their, their conversations weren't done in such a way that, that was frantic and anxious. And that's the same thing that's going on here. That's the same reminder in your life. The current political climate of this day was in upheaval and chaos. People felt like the world was going to end. And the message is, remember, don't, don't, don't enter into this conversation. Don't, don't talk about your authorities in such a way. Don't, honestly, don't give them more power than they have. Because remember that you've been called to be on a mission. One guy um, who came and spoke to us, all the redemption pastors that were going to preach through Titus, um, this is just kind of, this is example or reason number 1037 that we love being a part of redemption, that redemption is one church in multiple congregations. Okay, it's, it's um, okay, one church, so we preach through the same sermon series, we walk through the same, the same scripture, the same text, and every week, 10 days out, we gather our notes, we all read and study individually, then we all come together and we share notes and then we all take it back and we, and we work on it and, and we work on the sermon in order to bring the same big idea in the particular context where we all are. And so that's, that's what we do and how we do it. And it's been said that it's the uh, least practical, most expensive way to go about it, but we believe the most appropriate. So when we go through books of the Bible like this, we get to all come together and we spend a about a day, bringing in a particular scholar to help us. And um, we got to do that. A New Testament and Greek scholar from Phoenix Seminary, John Delhuse Jr., came in and he caught us and he walked through this whole book. And he, specifically with this section, he reminded us. He said, he said Paul submitted himself to the political structures of the synagogue, all right? The author of this letter. If you know this stuff, Paul was beaten. He was unjustly tried. He could have said, hey, if this stuff doesn't change, I'm going to Canada, right? Some of you know, all right? He said, I'm going to Canada. He didn't say that. 
He said, I've been sent on a mission by God to transform this brokenness. Did he speak up? Did he give reason to be stoned and beaten and stoned like first century stone, okay? Not 1960s and 70s stoned, all right? To get thrown rocks at. Did he, yeah, he, he, he spoke up. He spoke the hard truth. He said this stuff, but he stayed because he knew that he had been saved from the sinful structures that ruled his own heart individually and that ruled society and politics in general in order to be a light, in order to bring transformation. Saved from sin. And then in verse, uh, in verse 3, Paul kind of transitions, okay? Saved from sin. And maybe it's hard for you to do that. Maybe it's hard not to enter in. Maybe it's hard to not talk trash about the, the current president or the next potential president or whomever it might be, the, the, the rulers and authorities of our day because we don't recognize, let, let me make it a little more personal, you don't recognize that you need to be saved from you. Amen? Am I all alone here? Okay, let me help us connect these dots a little bit. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. Simply put, remember where you came from. Okay, not in the kind of current, not in the hip-hop kind of language, right? Like, I remember my, my, my neighborhood. I remember where I came from. But no, remember where you would be if not for the intervening grace of God. Grace means undeserved favor. Undeserved favor. Remember where you came from. Stop for a moment. Remember where you came from. Perhaps you were blessed enough by no doing of your own to be raised in a godly Christian home with godly parents and by his grace, by nothing that you did, you can't remember a day when you didn't love and follow Jesus. I pray that's my kids' testimony, their story. I pray that that is true of many in this room. But still, remember where you came from. Born a sinner, rebellious and selfish, if not for the intervention of God through your parents, through an, a loving neighbor, where would you be? I, I, I think, um, and this is where I get real practical and personal here, but um, let, me, let me keep kind of putting the heat on you maybe for a minute. Um, are you the kind of person, and the answer is likely yes, that when you see something roll across your feed on Facebook, you see something in the news, maybe somebody got a DUI and maybe drove through and some havoc was wreaked and they, they, havoc was wreaked, havoc was wrought, someone was hurt, you, you, you did, someone did something and you sit there and say, how could you throw them in jail and throw away the key? How could they ever? Or, okay, I'm kind of dating myself, but way back, Britney Spears, okay, kind of the, the, kind of the precursor between Madonna and Miley Cyrus was Britney Spears and kind of popular media was kind of um, always going after Britney Spears there for a while. Some of you don't even know Britney Spears. That's crazy. But um, okay, Britney Spears, and if you guys remember, she was driving down the road in a, in a convertible with her child on her lap. 
And a lot of people at that moment were just going, how could she do that? Throw out the key, throw her in jail. What a moron. How could she ever do this? Or you hear things about, you know, parents abusing little infants because they have colic and are crying and you're like, awful, evil. Is it? Yes, absolutely. But if it's carrying a posture that's, I would never. Carrying a tone, carrying a language, thinking, I'd never do that. And I'm going to pick all the sins that I don't relate with or identify with and just drop bombs on everybody else who does it. And then I know this is true. A lot of us who become parents, who have young kids, my wife and I had triplets. Yeah, five-month-old triplets that wouldn't stop crying at night. And I started to be like, by God's grace alone, I'm not going to hurt these kids, but I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop turning my nose up at the things that come across my feed on, on the news about what parents did to their kids in the middle of the night who weren't so blessed with a church community, who weren't so blessed with the information and the knowledge that I have. Where did you come from? Do you understand your need to be saved from you? Um, I, you can't see it right now, but this morning a lot of people saw I had a, uh, like a cast, a temporary cast on my hand. I um, may or may not have broken my hand this weekend on Friday. And a bunch of people came up and asked me, what happened to your hand? And and then I'm like, yeah, I actually punched a wall. And then people are like, ah, yeah, in anger, right? And I'm like, yeah, actually in anger. And people are like, wait, wait, seriously? And sadly, humbly, yes. In anger, I punched a wall and uh, potentially broke my hand. I don't know yet. Um, We'll see tomorrow when I get an x-ray. and it's not funny. And in God's incredible grace, his undeserved favor, it turned into a moment right there of incredible blessing. My kids, my son got to see me do it and was kind of dumbfounded and right away because my head got really light right after I punched the wall and lost. And um, it's not drywall or whatever. It was some really thick old wall. And I went out and got my wife and we were, and, and I could share with you the circumstances behind it. Again, I talked about Mother's Day. My mom has dementia and we were walking through getting power of attorney and all that stuff. And that's not in any way an excuse for the sin that resides in my own heart still. And it'd be really easy to brush it off and to say, hey, I, to speak about sins that used to happen. I used to need saving from myself, you know. When I was a six-year-old, a selfish, rebellious six-year-old and heard the gospel and was saved right there in that moment and God stepped in. And then, you know, 31 years ago, that happened and now it's been roses and walking with Jesus ever since. It's been messy. It's been full of grace and undeserved favor. It's been full of saving, continual saving from myself. Saving that happens in a moment. Saving from the consequences of sin, past, present, and future. And then being reminded of the need for saving every day, consistently. And by his incredible grace, our family got together and I shared where I was at. And I shared, guys, this might be a newsflash to you. It's probably not as much. I need Jesus. I need the gospel right now, not just 30 years ago. I need the good news of Jesus to remind me that my identity is free 
from the consequences of sin that I don't have to, I don't have to control my surroundings and my environment and, and, and I don't have to, have to blow up and punch walls. I can stop and remember a sovereign and loving God who is in control of all things. I can remember that Jesus who stood in the moment of temptation when he could have punched the proverbial wall and called the angels down on Pilate but withheld his anger for my good. And I got to share that with my kids and they actually prayed with me and for me and, and, and we, we cried and, and worshiped and then I got to text a bunch of people that I lead and other people who lead me and bring them into this. And it could have happened in some other way, right? But I can't shake your hand right now so it's kind of hard to hide this from you. And it would have been really easy to lie, right? Like I was playing catch or I was at a baseball game and a foul ball was hit, which I was at a baseball game last night. And this ball came screaming by and a helpless old lady was right there about to get hit and I reached up my hand and caught it. Or I was an idiot and punched a brick wall <laughs> in front of my kids. And that's the truth. And the truth is I need saving from self. And so do you. And the best way for me to pastor you is to enter into it too and to remind you, we need to be saved from sin. We need to be saved from ourselves. And the good news I can tell you is this. First of all, you need to be saved from yourself. And the good news to you is that through Jesus, you have been saved from yourself. And if you don't recognize that, if we have a church culture that is afraid to recognize that, then the good news of Jesus isn't going to inform us and change us and transform us. My prayer is that that never happens again and that maybe in this moment God is bringing the gospel to a new crevice in my heart that it hasn't otherwise come to. Be saved from self. And lastly, let me just, or lastly with that point, um, it's not an excuse to say like, by God's grace, and then to throw in like all this bragging, right? Like, well, by God's grace... And then you just go on, like, my church is awesome, I'm awesome, my family's awesome, my kids are awesome, uh, my home's awesome, but I said, by God's grace, so now I have free license, right? It's like saying, with all due respect. Have any of you, right? right? What, what goes on with all due respect? With all due respect, in parentheses, all respect is about to go out the window. I'm about to blast you. I can say whatever I want right now. I can shame you, but I said, with all due respect, so it's good, right? We're good. No, no. Like Paul in, um, in 1 Corinthians, it needs to roll off our tongue. That if not by God's grace, I would not be where I am. But because of God's grace, I am here. And that needs to be a true, humble confession of the need and God's provision of saving you from you. Save from sin saved from self, and then saved by grace. Okay, I just shared again what that is, but verse four is so powerful, but, right? In the Bible, but is a really good word. You this, you that, you would be this, you were foolish, you were talking trash, you hated one another, right? Paul says that, but, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior, that's where saved comes from, Saved because of a savior, because God took on flesh and became a person. Grace, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. 
As I shared last week, guys, grace is not a lofty theological idea. It's a person. Grace has come. Is it hard for you to acknowledge, is God good? Does God care? Does God love me? Yeah, yeah, there's proof right here. There's a cross to remind you that grace came as a person. And grace came to save you. He died on the cross and then he rose from the dead in order to save you. Though you don't deserve it. Though you and I deserve wrath. And sometimes we diminish sin, right? I, I, I'm, I'm tempted. I don't want to do that with me punching a wall or with whatever kind of sin I pray God is revealing in your own heart right now. You're tempted to water it down because we don't understand. No, God hates that sin. It's easy to get past that and be like, hey, but by his grace. And then we never grow from that. But to stop and to say, he hates that. That's stupid and foolish and evil. You would do that in front of your kids? God hates that. That deserves judgment. That deserves wrath. And yet instead, God says, I love you and I forgive you. And these big theological words actually come up here, okay, that I want us to walk through for a minute, right? We're on the ground level, right? Where the rubber meets the road, but, but we need to maybe pull back for a minute and then we're going to come back, okay? So I'm going to go a little bit seminary on you, a little bit theological on you for a minute and forgive me, but it, it'll be helpful. And then some of you who are always there, all right, um, hopefully you'll kind of come back down and see, no, this stuff is meant to change you and apply to your life. But some words are used here, um, renewal by um, regeneration or regeneration by the renewal of the Holy Spirit. And then down in verse 7, he talks about justification. And in order for these things to really transform our lives, we need to understand them. So first, I just want to read a couple of quotes um, for you from a guy, an author and a scholar, J.I. Packer, who wrote this. Regeneration, what is that? Let me read you what he explains to us. Regeneration is the spiritual change, rot. Okay, that word rot is like brought about or accomplished. Regeneration is the spiritual change brought about or wrought in the heart of man by the Holy Spirit in which his or her inherently sinful nature is changed so that he or she can respond to God in faith and live in accordance with his will. It extends to the whole nature of man, altering his governing disposition, illuminating his mind, freeing his will, and renewing his nature. Regeneration, or new birth, is an inner recreating of fallen human nature by the gracious, sovereign action of the Holy Spirit. Regeneration or new birth. In a, in a nutshell, what is regeneration? Okay, it's in the Bible, so should you know what regeneration is? Yes, yes you should. And it is this, it's born again. Okay, have you, you've probably heard that if you ever grew up in like a charismatic movement or church, like this is thrown around a ton and, and like I did and you maybe know this word or these, this language and then um, some of us maybe more reformed, young, theological types, we like to self-title, we throw around words like regenerate or re, re, uh, regeneration, right? Or a, a, my heart has been regenerated and we say things and it may, sometimes to keep everyone else out and be like, I know this stuff and you don't. All right, you should repent of that and, 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 and take the gospel on ground level like it was given and like it's meant to be. And, and it means this, born again. 
dead and now alive. Dead to sin, alive to life with Jesus. Alive to righteousness, alive to life the way God designed you to live. Okay, so if you've ever heard this before, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you need to be born again. What does that mean? It means this. It means you, in and of yourself, by yourself, without the intervention of God, you will always choose self. You will always choose not God. You will, your heart and your mind and your disposition and everything else that was used there will be used um, for yourself and for selfishness. Ultimately, affected and infected by sin. Sin in a nutshell, not God, death. But God intervening has raised you from death and brought you into life. We talk about this when somebody is baptized here. We talk about this in our home when we discipline our kids. We talk about this when we sin in front of our kids and need to confess in, in, in front of them. And you know how that went down? It went down like this. Guys, I've been set free from that sin. Just like we talked about last week, right? The shackles have been removed and yet sometimes we put the shackles of sin back on. Or sometimes we, though we're alive, we live like we're dead. And we give in to sin. We let sin rule in our hearts and rule in our lives. And we are, need to be reminded, I've been born again. I've been alive. God's given me a new heart. So why did I pretend like the old man, like the dead man is still ruling in my life? And then we turn to God and say, God, thank you for freeing me from death. Thank you for freeing me from sin. Thank you for saving me by grace. Now by your Holy Spirit that you sent by your good news that you've given, will you empower me to live the life that you've already given me and called me to through faith in Jesus? Regenerate. Regeneration. Then another word, while we're at it, let me, let me um, read this to us. Justification. Before we kind of land the plane and get back on ground level. What is justification? Well, good thing you asked. Here's what J.I. Packer says. Justification is a judicial act of God pardoning sinners wicked and ungodly persons, accepting them as just and so putting permanently right their previously estranged relationship with himself. This justifying sentence is God's gift of righteousness, his bestowal of a status of acceptance for Jesus' sake. Justification is an incredibly important theological word. Okay, it's picture a courtroom. It's you standing before God Almighty, guilty. One sin or one million times a million sins, equally offensive to God, turning your back on Him, saying thanks but no thanks, deserving judgment, deserving wrath. You're standing before Him guilty. And then God the Son, Jesus, comes, lives perfectly, lives the life that you and I were called to live but could never live, and then lays down his life, paying the price and the penalty for sin that you and I deserve to pay by dying on the cross. And then he rose victorious from the dead. God the Father's forgiveness, eternally on display and acted out by Jesus who said, Father, why have you forsaken me? Said, into your hands I commit my spirit. 
said, it is finished. The debt has been paid in full and then died. And then on the third day, right, we celebrate on Easter, rose from the dead victoriously. And that is God the Father saying, it is finished, is right. It has been forgiven. Jesus is now accepted once and for all. The sin has been dealt with and life has been restored once and for all. And the good news is that if you put your faith in Jesus or the biblical language, if you are found in him, if you have entrusted yourself to him, if you have been united with him, you have been justified. The guilty verdict has been displaced and put on Jesus. And then the forgiveness that only Jesus deserved has been transferred and given to you. Some, some Martin Luther called this like the great exchange or the double exchange where your sinful nature was given to Jesus on the cross and his accepted forgiven status was given to you and me. Saved from sin, saved from self, saved by grace, undeserved favor. And then lastly, and yet absolutely, perhaps most importantly, is the implications therein. Okay, again, if you're a theological person or you just sit there, sometimes we want to stay in the courtroom, okay? The courtroom where God says, guilty but forgiven. And then we're like, okay, I get it. Justification, regeneration. But, but the implications or the reality of, of uh, adoption is, is this, that you and I were saved for life. Can bring the rubber back to the road. Do you live your life as though you've been saved to live your life flourishing, thriving, individually and communally as God's people? In verse 7, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Again, earlier that word but was a really, really good word. Now we see so that. Regeneration, justification. So that. So that you and I might live our lives by his grace to become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Hope, remember we've talked about this. We think of hope as like chewing your nails, biting your nails. I hope one day, I hope one day I'll be forgiven. I hope one day I'll get to go to heaven, which is this really weird ethereal place where you're chubby and wear a diaper and have wings and play a harp and it's very unattractive and it has very little to do with your life now. But, but that's not at all how this is portrayed here. So that you can be heirs. So that you can get out of the courtroom Right? Have you ever been on jury duty? Have you ever been in a courtroom? It's not a place you want to stay. But yet sometimes we sit there and we stay and we, we think, I, I've been justified, I, I'm now regenerate, but I'm going to stay here because I don't understand God and I don't understand the good news. I don't understand the gospel rightly, so I'm just going to stay here in the courtroom. But no, Jesus says, hey, you're free, brother, sister. You're a co-heir with me. Jesus is now already on the throne, saying, behold, I'm making all things new. I'm bringing a kingdom, a, a party. 
that's going to last for eternity, that's real and tangible. Okay, pinch yourself or pinch your neighbor. Okay, this is going to be real. The kingdom that is coming, eternity that we get to look forward to starts, starts now. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's not yet. So there's sin and brokenness in the world still. But you've been saved. You've been justified. You've been regenerate. Not just to sit there and wonder, but to start living as an heir, as a recipient to the inheritance that Jesus has established and bought and shared with you. A co-heir, Romans, the same author Paul, refers to this when he talks about in in, in Romans chapter 8, and he says, we are now co-heirs with Jesus, adopted. Sometimes, again, justification, being forgiven from sin, the great exchange, right, regeneration. Yes, yes, and yes, absolutely important. There are are, um, other shun words, one of which is, is sanctification, growing into the identity that he has now given you through justification, growing into that, having aha moments, seeing the gospel break into parts of your life and corners of your heart. Adoption. But let me ask you honestly, and this illustration maybe is more for you moms since it's Mother's Day. Um, Okay, don't uh, send me an email if that's offensive. But um, I often give you, you know, sports analogies and this and this and this. But I was thinking about this. Um, do you tend to uh, approach your relationship with God like Cinderella, right? Like you've, you're a part of the household, but God's more like the wicked stepmom, right? And, and then the stepsisters are more like maybe the good Christians or maybe even Jesus, and they get to partake in all the good and all the money and all the, all the favor and all the enjoyment of this life. And you're kind of tolerated and accepted. And you're a recipient of the, of the inheritance by like hanging on by your coattails, kind of tolerated. And, and are you more of a Cinderella in God's family and in, in the inheritance that he's given? Or are you more like Cosette in Le Wayne Miserable, who, 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 who Jean Valjean um, adopted and made his own and, and gave everything for and lavished his love upon. And, and then even, even in his death, um, made absolutely sure that all of his wealth and all of the inheritance that he had now, um, had now, had now accrued was given to her, his daughter, You can't watch or read or see Les Mis and wonder if Cosette is truly the heir of Jean Valjean. You can't do it. And so again, I want to ask you, how do you view your own relationship with God? Do you understand the lavished love that he has called you into? That he saved you for life? He saved you to live and to flourish and to thrive? Saved from sin saved from self, saved by grace, and saved for life. So let me ask us a couple questions, church, as we close. Do you live like you're free from sin, or do you live with an anxiousness? Living in a sinful world, but do you live as though you're a citizen of a kingdom? How do you live? Do you live as though you're free from sin? Individually, yes, and communally and societally, Free from sin. Is humility something that just doesn't sit with you? 
Is humility something that um, you, you maybe pretend to have or you kind of put on a cloak or do you abso- actually in your core of your being look at other people, not arrogantly, but say, if not for grace, so would I be. If not for God's, is there a posture, is there a foundational understanding of yourself and your relationship with others and your relationship with life that says, I am a sinner saved, rescued only by God's undeserved favor. And then lastly, are you living? Are you flourishing? Do you understand that the saving work of Jesus the things he has accomplished in the courtroom, the justification, the regeneration was meant so that you and I might live and flourish and thrive together as the healthy people of God, living as life ought to be lived in relationship with God, empowered by God, co-heirs with Jesus, the King who sits on the throne and says, I'm making all things new. I'm preparing a party. I'm preparing a life. I'm preparing a world. I'm preparing a kingdom as it's supposed to be. Come and be a part of it. Amen? Now let's respond and consider that life he's called us to live and established for us as his people, the healthy people, the church of the one true God. Lord Jesus, we, um, we do thank you so much for um, who you are and, and for what you've done. Um, God, I thank you for hard things, for hard moments, for embarrassing recognitions of um, desperate need for you, for the gospel. But Lord, thank you for, for grace, for instant grace. Lord, thank you for reminding us right there in that moment that, that our good days and our bad days don't define us. Lord, you have rescued us. You've called us. You've established us as your people. So Lord, I pray right now as we respond, I pray as we sing, I pray, um, Lord, that you will do the work that you need to do in each of our hearts individually. Lord, I pray that you will simultaneously convict and encourage and empower and establish and send us individually and communally and corporately as your people, thriving and flourishing in all of life. In the name of Jesus, amen.